fact, I saw half hope nobody would come at all. <laughs> and, and then I thought, actually, well, a bit sad if nobody comes. So I'll try, I'll try and think. I think the best thing to do, because I'm, I spend most of my time sitting in a room on my own trying to think up stories, you know, and I'm not really you know, used to public speaking particularly. So I think the best thing to do is to tell you how I got started. Don't you think that's a good idea? Because yeah. I started really young doing all this. In fact, it was all I ever did. And one of the things I really worry for children now is the amount of distraction they've got, which is getting worse with every second, really, with all the stuff with computers and things. And, and I, I, we, I come from such a long time ago that there was nothing except pencils and <laughs> pieces of paper and things like that, and we were never entertained at all. Television wasn't even invented, I'm so old. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> got invented when I was about nine and was considered very shocking, you know. Um, so we had to make all our own entertainment, really. So anyway, I also now realise that I was very lucky because I could read the newspapers when I was three. I was a bit like Matilda, you know, remembering the old doll story. Um, although I couldn't do everything else. I could only read and draw. That was all. I wasn't interested in anything else. Um, and then later on, when I had my son, who's now 28, and I'm very proud to say I've just got an MA in illustration with distinction, and a very high mark for dissertation, he had dys dyslexia. And he couldn't read till he was eight which um, I was just baffled by. I thought, well, do it, you know. <laughs> just, so I now know absolutely both ends of the scale, people who could do it like breathing, and people like Charlie, who found it very embarrassing having a mum who could write books that were all in the school libraries, and he was having such problems with it. So in fact, I think we dealt with it all rather well, really, she said proudly. But anyway, there I was, and I could, I could read before I went to school, and uh, I didn't know how to go to school. I was horrified, because I still like being at home with my mum. Um, so I wouldn't go to school unless she came and was a dinner lady, because I just refused to go, really. I think that was the only way she could, she knew that I'd get there. So she used to come and come along on the school bus with me and go up and do all the washing up around the back. And I used to come and tell her my stories through the, there was a window at the back, because we weren't supposed to go around the back of the school, where the, where the, um, the where everybody got the meals ready. And I used to go up and put my hair, this used to remind me later on, do you remember Dumbo? Where the, where the mummy elephant, which still makes me weak to even talk about it actually, where the mummy elephant is in a, in a, kept in a cage, and Dumbo goes and feels along the edge with his trunk to see if she'll, she, she's there. And I used to go and put my hand along the top of it, because it was above my head, to see if my mum was doing the washing up at the window. And she used to put her hand over, and I could see she was wearing a ring she used to wear. So I go, can I just tell you that chapter of that story I was doing? And she go, supposed to be around here, you know, we'll go on then quickly. And I go, well then, chapter four was, and I'd start telling her the next story. And I got, and I'd write it down, and I should have been doing something else. So anyway, sometimes I think I made all this up, you know, you do exaggerate a bit, you know, I could read when I was one, things like that. But I've actually got proof of it, because I've got my busy bee picture-making and writing book, which was when I was four. It's the first thing I did at school, mother kept, as you can imagine, everything piled, uh, you know, in a knitting bag, actually. And I've got the very first thing I ever wrote. And we, got, and we had a very nice teacher called Miss Trainer, which was just as well, because all the other teachers were absolutely mad. And this comes from a time rather like, remember Miss Trunchbull? Remember Miss Trunchbull and one of Roald Dahl's? I mean, actually, I met Roald Dahl at one point. I know him and a friend of Blake. Uh, I did know him before he died. Um, and I, I can remember us laughing about the state of the schools we went to, which were being closed down on the first day now, with the things they did to us, you know. But fortunately for me, the first year I was there, when I was four to five, we had Miss Trainer, who was, wasn't that a nice name for a teacher, Miss Trainer, because she was sort of training us, you know, and she was very pretty. She looked like a cross between Jackie Kennedy, for people who are older, and a kitten. 
all the old school photographs to find the very first one. And actually, that's quite interesting because I'd always thought she looked like Jackie Kennedy and Kitten. Well, I couldn't have thought that until much later because she wasn't invented then either. Um, uh, but it was a good description because that's exactly what she did look like. And she was also, I realized, only about 23. I thought she was about 104. There's no point in marrying young and having children young because anything you're old anyway, you might as well do it all when you're older really. Um, so anyway, Miss Trainer was lovely and she, I can remember um, with this story, because she, she thought nobody would even be able to do the alphabet, so she said, we were given these wonderful books, because I still used to do all my drawings on opened out brown paper bags, which are making a comeback actually at fruit shops and things. My mum used to iron them so I could draw on them. Um, and so this was wonderful because it had this wonderful sort of thing inside, can't you love drawn even later on all the way through it. It had a page where you could write and then a little piece of drawing at the top. So I was drawing a house and I got in a terrible state because I thought it wasn't good enough. And Miss Trainer came around and said, goodness me, this is a lovely drawing. You know, why are you so upset? And I said, because I've written a story and it says, and in fact what it says, I can read it to you. It says, my house is a big house. It wasn't actually. It was a minuscule, two up, two down, containing my dying grandparents in their pyjamas, rather like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Uh, and my brother and my stepchildren sort of covered. It was you know, quite a nice cover. They made it as good as they could. But it says, my house is a big house. It has a crane front door. The number of my house is 95. And then astonishingly, it says, every day I get sweets. Well, I was never allowed any sweets at all. Which is why as an old person, I have rather nice teeth, I might say. And my mother was right about this. Teeth and feet, she used to say. Um, and anyway, um, it says every day I get sweets. And I think that's so funny because obviously that's what I would like to happen. So I already knew at four you could put it in a story even if it didn't happen really. But the thing that was freaking me out was that I said, it has a cream front door. And I said to her, but I, I don't know how to color in cream, cream. And she said, well, couldn't you do it pale yellow? And I said, well, no, because it's not pale yellow. It would say it has a pale yellow front door. And it doesn't have a pale yellow front door. It has a cream front door. And I don't know how to colour in cream. There isn't a cream coloured pencil. So Miss Trainer said, well, I see what you mean, dear. She said, and actually, we haven't got a yellow anyway. She said, because there was this awful box with all these broken pencils where my mother had made sure I had every colour under the sun and it was all laid out in rows with pencil sharpness. So she said, I'll tell you what, we've got a lovely red pencil. She said, why don't you cover it in red? And I said, well, you can't say that because it says it has a cream front door. <laughs> it's definitely not a red front door. And I've written it now, and I've written it quite hard so I can't rub it out. And anyway, it has got a cream front door. And I can still remember Miss Trainer. I had an astonishing memory. Miss Trainer said, Jill, dear, she said, this is an amazing drawing. Could you, could you just do it red? because it's my favourite colour, and you are my friend, aren't you? She said, yes, And I said, yes, I am your friend, Miss Trainer. She said, will you colour it red just to please me? She said, and you'll never remember this. So anyway, I have remembered it all my life. <laughs> In fact, I've got it on the PowerPoint. Let's see if I can do it on the PowerPoint. There it is. So you can see it bigger. And um, I just, it really freaked me out. And she, she was very kind to me. She, there's another drawing I've got further on. I mean, what fascinates me about it also is that I don't know if that's got any corrections on it. I think she, every day I'd kind of done a capital D, hadn't I? And she's crossed the capital D out and shown me how to do a small d. They took no prisoners at the school I was at. But, I mean, nowadays, somebody would go, my God, this child's only four, you know. Uh, but she was going, let's show how to do it. And she was, I was glad they did. You know, they also, for example, because... I couldn't see much point in the other children, really, you know, and it was nice to play with them at break time and force them to play flower fairies and things like that with me. 
Um, but I couldn't see much point in them as there were 32 of them in the class. Um, so I was always going, you know, oh, I can tell you, Miss Trainer. I mean, she was very good to me. I remember her saying, I remember Miss Trainer saying, I know you know how to do it, Jill, but I'd like to hear how Alison wants to do it because she's got lots of stories to tell as well. And I wanted to go, no, she hasn't, they're not as good as mine. But I had to put myself to one side and be good about other people. So she did train me a lot. So only this one cracks me up as well. And I think this is on the PowerPoint. It's quite good, the PowerPoint, isn't it? Let's see if that's the right one. That's, this one wonderfully says, our sale. Yesterday we had our sale for the poor children, which is so wonderful because we were the poor children. <laughs> so I don't quite know, but it's got, it says, um, for the poor children. And then it says, I brought a toy monkey and Cinderella and the Prince. So you can actually see on Cinderella and the Prince, the two joined up figures that used to dance around when you did a, um, when you did a little key at the bottom. And it says, and I bought, um, and I bought a, a, a toy dog and called him Pinkie Patch. Um, and you can see, uh, you can see that's a nun, can't you? There's Mother Mariana waving her arms in the air. And there's the lovely Miss Trainer um, with her hair now in a ponytail because I was a bit older when I did this one, when I, I probably got about five. Um, and so I just thought it was interesting to show you that it all started very early. And one of the things I'm really pleased about now, about computers not being invented, is that all I was trying to do was to get better and better at what I could do. And I don't know, like, you know, you must be, when you look at all the things that you can find on computers, and they do it all for you, don't they? And, and I, I was still, I did everything, like I still do, actually, with, by hand. I sharpen my pencils, um, and I do it all by hand, and it's still a sort of joy to me, really. So anyway, um, then I carried on doing my, practicing my writing and drawing and everything. And my mum, my mum, Christmas turned up. My son used to love this story because I was asked what I would like for my big present for Christmas. Um, and I wanted a stapler. And I remember Charlie saying, what, you wanted a stapler as your big present? And I said, well, it was a really big thing because in those days, you couldn't get staplers. I still love staplers. You can get ones like, some of them are like a crocodile, you know, you open the crocodile's mouth and brush the staples out. But in those days, the only person who had a stapler uh, was the teacher. Uh, and by this time, uh, we moved on to the rather scary Mrs. Alton, who was one of the nuttiest, actually. And most of them could hit you at the school. So you were very frightened, think, you know, because they could hit you. And Mrs. Alton loved hitting people, so um, you had to... Uh, uh, she would hit you if you had the wrong expression on your face. Imagine that. So, you know, like I might, you know, say I was Mrs. Alton, I might go, you're not looking very interested. Come up here, and then bash you, you know. And it was just too awful to think about, isn't it? But so you had to be very careful with Mrs. Alton. And the, the other confusing thing about her, in fact, for the grown-ups among us, I think possibly that she might have been at a time of life because she had incredible mood swings. She was fantastically wonderful when she was in a good mood and horrendous when she wasn't. Um, and she had a stapler and at the front of the class, there it was, and it was a great big stapler. It was sort of grey-green colour with spring at the end of it and a large silver knob at the top. Um, and if, you, if you'd been good, she would say, um, and I want somebody a very sensible child to come and staple some pages together for me. And then we'd all sit and she'd say, I want you all to be sensible. So to be sensible, we used to sit there with our arms by our side, like something. If you were being particularly sensible, we used to go like that. You know, we wouldn't talk or anything, you know, we'd just be sitting there. And then she might say, John Murphy, you look sensible today. Would you like to come and staple some pages together for me? And I'd be like, very much like that. Thank you, Miss So I'd go up to stay, and I was really good at stapling, because actually stapling, even now, is quite difficult. You know, crunching quite hard enough, they can sort of banana up at the ends and then you're half stuck through the paper and you've got to get them out and they make a hole. So I was quite renowned for my taking skills and I was often asked. But then if you 
she'd done the stapling really well, she had another trick for you. I mean, I'm not making this up. In a drawer, she had a duster, and she used to get the duster out and say, that was beautifully stapled, Jill. Would you like to polish the knob of the stapler? And I'm like, how you pop to do that? Thank you very much. It's like this stapling. And, and when, you, when you polished it, you can see your face sort of like this around it. Yeah. And she goes, that's enough. It's very nicely polished. Go back and sit down. So anyway, I loved stapling. And I asked my mum if I could have a stapler for Christmas. And she said, well, I don't know where to get one, dear. You know, they've only got them in the school. So I said, well, could you try and find one? Because then I could staple things. Now, I wouldn't have to wait for Mrs. Orton to be in a good mood. Uh, to do some stapling. So off she went, and she, uh, at Christmas time, she put the stapler, which was exactly like the school one. In fact, later on, I wondered if she pinched it. You know. um, but I think they were just only made like that. You get them in a bluey colour, marbledy colour, or you could get them in this greeny colour. And she got a blue one, actually. It wasn't like the other one. And she put it in all these boxes so that I was quite disappointed. I mean, there again, what a strange child, disappointed about the largeness of the boxes, because all I wanted was a stapler. And there it was in the middle, and it's a little hard sort of covering. So then I didn't quite know what to do with the stapler, uh, because there are limits to really what you can do with a stapler. I stapled the brown paper bags together and things like that. And then my brother said, my brother was two years older than me, and he was always getting me into trouble. He was brilliant to this. He said, why don't you staple your socks to the edge of your dress? <laughs> he said, because then you could walk about saying, I'm the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> he said, that would be really funny. Actually, I thought it was really funny. So anyway, I had a dress down to, because, you know, we had probably crinolines, you know, I had a dress down to about here. I was, because I was going to be tall when I grew up, although now as an older person, I'm shrinking. So it's quite funny that I can't tell the same story because I was five foot nine and I'm now five foot seven going down. So anyway, at that point, I, I had sort of little matchstick legs and I was very tall and always had floppy ends to my dress. Uh, and the socks, I, I did manage to staple them. It was quite difficult to do, actually. Uh, and I couldn't stand up, which was brilliant. So I was walking around going, I'm the hunchback of Notre Dame. My mum came in. She said, what earth are you doing? And I said, I'm the hunchback of Notre Dame. You know, and she said, look, that's a very silly thing to do with the stapler. And my brother said, she's always silly. I mean, I don't know. Like, you told me to do it. And we have one of those. So then he got me to staple the living room curtains together. Because he said, and actually, I thought he was right about this. He said she would like that because they didn't meet at the top. And there's this horrible main road outside. And you could see all the light through. So he said, if you stand on a chair and press them against the window, you could staple them at the top. And then it would keep the light out. So we did do that, and then she went mad about that one as well. And then when, when I actually, and this one I can't blame on my brother because I did it myself, she had a, a little table, and it's just such a crowded house, and she had this little tiny table with a, with a tablecloth on it, and a spalco with nice things on it, you know, like a, a, a photograph of my grandmother and various things like that. And anyway, at the bottom, because I was only six when I got the stapler, um, I decided to do a sort of hem with the staple around the bottom of it, and then stuff, it was like an early, those crinkly toys you get for small children. And then I was stuffing bits of paper in so that they would crinkle when you went round. And this completely finished her off. And I remember her saying, right, that's it, I'm having the staple back. This is, I can't go on like this. We've only had, we only had it for a few weeks, and the place is covered in showers of staples all over the floor. She said, I think I'll, I'll give it to Peter until you get a bit older. And I went, please don't give it to him, you know, because actually it was partly his fault. And so she said, oh, you know, you're really good at writing stories now. Why don't you write me a book? So I said, well, what, a whole book? And she said, well, as much book as you can manage. So um, she cut out these pages for me. We Because we had one, there was one large 
cartridge paper thing that she would only give me for special occasions. You know, I mean, you know nowadays you'd be going farming, buying everything, wouldn't you? But this was a special occasion. So she said, as this was a special occasion, and she didn't want me to muck about and start stapling it to the carpet, um, she would do this nice little thing for me. Obviously, I did the stapling. And she said, I want you to go away and write a story in it and do as much as you can. So off I went up to the, the cupboard that I shared with my brother, which was a tiny gap in the middle between the beds. And I put an atlas on the bed, like a drawing board. And then I put lots of jumpers on the floor and knelt on the jumpers so much because it was, you know, this was also, I'm sorry, it's a bit like I was born in a shoebox, but we really did have lino. And our lino wasn't like the lovely cushion floors now. It used to crack. Uh, so you caught your toes in it, actually, and it had wire matting underneath. It was so uncomfortable. So anyway, I made a nice squashy place to kneel on. And then I started writing this book. And the only I can think about this is I think it must be like, if someone like Tom Daly, although he said the other day that he was very scared about the diving, where he must have just gone off on a board and dived in and thought, I can do this, you know, without even, you know, something that he now does without, without any thought. Or skating, like roller skating, ice skating, I can't do anything like that without breaking my ankle. In fact, I can't walk down the stairs without breaking my ankle, let alone front ice skating or anything. But people who are really good physically about it, or people who can really dance, you know, I, I just knew I could, this was something I could do. I didn't even think about it really. So anyway, my mum kept saying, I see the book, and I was going, no, because I haven't finished it yet. And so she used to come and listen, because I used to talk to myself when I was doing the book. Um, in fact, it's because my son used to do it later, and I used to listen to him, and he'd go, don't listen, Mum, are you listening? And I'd go, no, no, I'm not listening at all. But it's very sweet to listen to children when they're talking to themselves. So I began, and then the lonely house, it was really sad. It was really sad, because nobody was living in it, you see. Uh, and, and I thought, I remember once thinking, I'm sure she's outside the door. So I opened the door and she fell in. <laughs> and she was definitely listening. She said she wasn't. She said she was polishing the door, but you know, she didn't do things like that. And it wasn't that sort of house. So anyway, here is the very first thing I did. It's called The Lonely House. And in fact, I think this is actually, this is where this is getting really good. Yes, there it is. That's The Lonely House by Jill Murphy. That was the best bit by Jill Murphy. I used to write by Jill Murphy in Barrow on my leg. Uh, just to see what it would look like. Because all I really wanted to do by this time, because I'd actually read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and um, the other one was The Secret Garden. And I wanted to have all I wanted, I never thought any further than this, apart from that I wanted to get married and do the ironing living as I did in the factory estate. Um, but I, I thought what I wanted was to have a book that I'd written that was properly printed, like I had no idea how they got properly printed, but it would be on a shelf between The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, and The Secret Garden, which I've actually got in my house. Uh, and I always, it's the first thing I ever do when I move, I'm never going to move again, but um, I always put those up, so there is, there's the worst witch. Now there's eight worst witches, and we put them on either end, like book But anyway, at that point, I hadn't thought any further than that, so I did this, here's the lonely house, and I'll show you, I've changed, I don't think I've got the writing on there, I might have the writing, let's see if I did a bit of the writing to show you. There we are. That's, and there, it's a chapter book, uh, and the, that, the picture on that side is from the, uh, is from the previous chapter where the house is called a cold. So the little boy has hung hot water bottles and blankets all over it to make it feel better and given it a cup of cocoa. The little boy is called Peter. Everybody was called Peter in my books because my brother was called Peter. And he used to go, if you're doing one of those books, it's got to be Peter in it. But sometimes Alan or Colin, who was his best friends, uh, but apart from that, they were always Peter. Um, or Ron, who was my mother's brother, who was killed in the war, and she never stopped talking about him being upset, so I was put him in as well. So anyway, so I did this book, and my mum nearly went balmy with delight. She was so pleased with that. She said, why don't you take it to school and show your teacher? Unfortunately, the teacher was Mrs. Alton. 
saying he couldn't quite tell Mrs. Olsen whether she'd be pleased about it or not. So I took it, I took it in one of the brown paper bags actually. And, I, and in these days at primary school, you have the same teacher sort of virtually all day. And I really wanted to show her, but I couldn't work out whether she was in a good mood or not. She hit two people in the early part of the morning, which didn't seem to be a very good sign, you know. But after lunch, perhaps she'd had a drink, you know. After lunch, well, I'm sure she didn't, it was mainly a convent. Um, but she was in a very sort of jolly, genial mood. So, but I still didn't quite dare, because I remember Peter Mulvaney and Emily being beaten, beaten to death in the morning. So it was just getting to the stage where we'd all go and get the school bus. Um, and I suddenly said, Mrs. Orton, I've, I've got something to show you. And she said, oh, what is it? And I said, it's a book. I've written a book. And she said, but we're doing maths. And I thought, it shows I wasn't concentrating. You know, it was a bit like sort of hiding from the Gestapo. You know, we just knew the, the deal. And I said, yes, uh, and I do like maths. I said, but I just thought you might like to see this at some point. Perhaps I could show you later. Would you like to take it home? <laughs> just absolutely gibbering. And she said, you better bring it up here. So I took it up there in this little brown paper bag and gave it to her and sort of stood there waiting, <laughs> sort of waiting for the blow to fall, really. And she said, she started looking through it. And the first thing she said was, did you do this by yourself? That was also a bit lethal because then you couldn't convince me of that, you know. And, and I said, yes, I did do it by myself, Mrs. Orton. She said, when did you do it? And I said, well, I did it at home because I like writing, really, it, you know. And she said, it's quite funny, actually. She said, would you like me to read a, a chapter to the class? So I went, yes, I would love that, Mrs. Orton. So she read a chapter to the class anyway. I think it was the one where, where he's got the hot water bottles and blankets, um, which is the chapter before. And uh, when I went home on the school bus, Anne Wallace, who was a bit terrifyingly vicious when she got going, she said, have you got the book? Because I'd like to know what happened. So she borrowed the book um, and she read it like a library book. I mean, and I was only six at this point. So I was absolutely thrilled and I thought, without realising it, because I didn't know anything about books except they were in libraries and shops and things, and you know, we didn't go to the shops, it was in the libraries really. So I thought, that was a popular book, I'd better do another one. So here's The Further Adventures of the House, which is a sequel, without my realising that I'd done a sequel, I didn't know what sequels were. But I thought by popular demand, because I had Wallace liked it, uh, I'd do another one. So by this time, I was lending the other one out to people, and then they wanted to know what happened in this one. This is actually a much better story. It's got some incredible bits now. I hope I've put them on the presentation, I can't remember. There's a lovely bit where there's a burgular, which is one of the few spelling mistakes because I actually just say burgular rather than burglar. Um, let's find that one. That's, that's where this is the beginning of it, where the house wants to go on holiday because we used to go every every year. We went for two weeks to Swanage in Dorset until I was 16. Uh, my brother was 18 and it began to get a bit out of hand that's climbing out of windows to go to evening parties. You know. And we were still all in the same room that they couldn't, we couldn't go on holiday unless we were all in the same room. And I remember <laughs> my father really didn't like being crammed in a room with these two elkings, you know. And at this point, we, we always went on holiday every year. Uh, and so the house is upset because it can't go with them because, well, it hasn't got any feet, you know. So the little boy digs a moat round it and puts sand round it so that it can, it can go on holiday while they're away, which is rather a nice one. And then later on, there's, um, that's it, the Bogular, which looks rather like my father, actually. Um, and the, the house snaps in the air and catches the burglar in its teeth and has to be like this all right, waiting for the police to arrive in the morning. Um, he could wait a long time these days, wouldn't he? But there he is, holding on to the burglar. And let's see if there was the other one. Another one. And this one is when a company of buses come to live next door to the... I mean, I was quite bullied at school, actually, unsurprisingly, really, because I was quite strange. 
Um, and this one is a company of buses comes to live next door to the house. Uh, and they, oh, became a staggering cry from inside. It says, the buses start circling the house, shouting at it, saying, you're stupid and you can't move and we've got wheels and things like that. Uh, and then they just smashed the house down, which actually to a grown-up is fascinating to me because, anyway, so there, if you look at it in the rubble, is the granny with blood dropping down her cheek, which I thought was a bit disgusting, actually. I mean, later on, Charlie's pictures all that, people's heads flying off all over the place and things, you know. Um, but I thought that was a bit awful, but don't worry, because she gets better. I think I've shame you that one. Yes, there she is in the hospital getting better. Um, and I can remember drawing that bed and it being completely hysterical because it didn't look right because I didn't draw the feet under the bed. And I said, he just looked as though he's growing out of the top of the bed. And my mum said, well, if you put the feet underneath, then it might look more as though he's behind the bed. And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. you know. And she said, well, let me just stand behind a bed for you, dear, and you'll see the feet underneath, and it does look better, although the feet are in a rather weird position to a grown-up. It, it she puts him behind the bed. So that was that one. Let's see what's coming up next. This is very nice for this. And then we get to the Christmas reindeer. So Christmas reindeer, I was 10 by this time, and my writing is sort of pathologically neat at this point. We were now allowed to use a biro. Up until then, like the, the, with the further the, the house books, they're all written in pencil. And we weren't allowed to use a pen. It was just not on until you were good enough, really, or older. So I did my two pages of writing and a picture. A picture. And I think that I've got that one. Yes, that's Mary Stamper, who wants a reindeer for Christmas. So she asks Father Christmas if she can have one. Um, and he, um, he leaves one on the roof, actually. But I think I did that. Yes, there it is, on the roof. Uh, and so she takes it in and she puts it in the attic. Um, and she keeps it in the attic. Which, um, because my mum used to say, I wish we could find an attic in this house, and then we could have another room. So I thought, rather sweet, I haven't got that on there. I thought that's what an attic might look like, with a great big studded door and a broken vase all glued together at the back. So anyway, um, she, t she has, she gets, the, the mum finds the reindeer flying around the attic. That's the other thing when you're a child, when you write stories. I mean, in real life, your mother would go, I think I'm losing my mind, there's a reindeer flying around the attic. But in this, the mum goes, oh no, we can't have that sort of thing. It would better go to the zoo. <laughs> Let's just see if I've got a picture of the zoo one. Yes, I have. There we are. So that's the zoo one. And do you see the Wall's Ice Cream one on the right, where there's a thing saying Wall's Ice Cream? I got very upset about that one because the perspective to a grown-up I know is not right. But I couldn't get... I remember saying to my mum, that bit where the, it's slanting, it's not right, it should be up higher. And she said, it's a lovely picture, dear. I don't think anyone's going to notice, you know. And I still notice it. I want to just budge it up a bit. But I was still learning all the time. I was always trying to trying to make myself better. And she's got in that, she's getting the keys off the zookeeper. You can see Bucky the reindeer, as you can see him on the far left in a, in a cage. And she goes to stay in Father Christmas now, and I really hope I've got this one. Yes, and she gets this fabulous bedroom, because remember, I'm still sharing a bedroom with my brother. We've probably all been arrested these days. But there she, there, she gets this pink bed. I also have to wear my brother's pajamas, because my mother reckoned uh, which was quite true, that nobody ever came round to the house afterwards. I mean, we never had anybody round or anything. Everybody just came home and had their tea and went to bed, really. Um, and then watched the television when I was nine. Um, but I really wanted to have pretty girl things because I never got any nice pyjamas. I got my brother's striped pyjamas. And for those who are old enough to remember, they're called at the front, you know, which was a bit horrendous, really. So I thought, you can put things into books that... that might not happen or that you would like to happen. So I was already kind of doing that, really. So let's see what the next one is, because then I can keep my brain on it. Going. This is The Lonely Star. The uh, Lonely Star's interesting to me, because, in fact, that still drives me mad, because, as you can see, I made the point of the star 
slightly too short. So I drew another one on the outside to make it bigger. And it's always driven me mad that, that, that it's not quite right. But anyway, this is almost like, do you remember Elmer the Patchwork Elephant? Do you remember that one where the elephants are the wrong color? And it's almost exactly the same. They, when they went, because I had been, you know, being, as I was at a highly religious school, everybody has created, and look, the little elves that are painting all the things, paints in the wrong colors. Um, so it's very similar to Elmer um, the Patrick Elephant, really. It's just a completely similar idea. And then um, he meets this little star called Estella, who he rather likes. Um, and they make very good friends. Uh, and he decides that, that he wants to be like all the other stars, which you can see are all tucked into the sky. So uh, he decides to turn it. In fact, that's rather a nice one, too, because we live quite near Hampton Court. Um, and the only two places we ever went to was the Tower of London and Hampton Court. And I didn't realize they weren't next to each other because you've got the maze there, put the maze in. And there's, there's the little star flying about the Stella. And I think I didn't do the end of this one because at the end of that one, um, he gets himself painted yellow so that she'll like him more. And she doesn't like him because she liked him just the way he was. Which is rather sweet, really. So I don't quite want, you know, something psychological going on there. And then the next one, this is my favorite one to show you. Um, but this one is Ronnie, Ronnie Rabbit, to make my mum a happy person. Um, and here we've got this little rabbit, this little cut-out rabbit. And I think there he is. It's not as big as that. It's a little cut-out rabbit. By this time, I was getting a bit, I did 92 of these books until I met they. I, I can't bring them all to you, otherwise I'd have you trapped here all afternoon. Well, no. um, but with this one, I, I wanted to do something a bit different. So there's two pages of writing. I always do the same thing. Two pages of writing and a picture. But this one, if you look at it, I, I don't know whether I've done... I think I might put it on the presentation. Uh, that's it. There's the first two pages. And as you can see, it's Spiky Hedgehog's birthday party. But where that... Ch you see the chair next to Spiky Hedgehog has got nobody in it. That's because you can put him in the picture, see? <laughs> so you can put him in the picture like that, and then he can sit in his own illustrations. I thought this was such a good idea. I couldn't wait to go and boast about it at school. And, and then I thought, now oh, I've done it, because there's going to be a hole in the writing on the other side, and it will look untidy, because I was trying to make it look very tidy all the time. I love also with this one, all the different types of wallpaper and the swirly back carpet, which was me, my mum had this swirly back carpet that I thought was wonderful. Uh, and we have three different types of wallpaper in the room. So anyway, you turn up the other way, and you can have him falling into something on the other side. <laughs> and you don't even have to take him out. <laughs> I thought that was so wonderful, and you got hysterical with cleverness. <laughs> I just thought that was brilliant. And in fact, actually, I can tell you about a horrible story about that. On the way to, on the way to school, we used to go on the school bus. I had two best friends. One was slightly terrifying, Anne Wallace, and the other one was Elizabeth Gibbon, who I used to play flower fairies with. And we used to play, we had a lovely book on the flower fairies. And I'll show you it to kids and mom. Let's just see if I can find it. We're not bored yet. You're all right. Somebody's a bit bored. Somebody's dropping off at the back there. I must absolutely jolly them up. I don't know what I've done with it. I'll just let me just see if I can find it. Because the flower fairies book is so nice to show you. There it is. So Anne Wallace and I used to play, no, Anne Wallace, Elizabeth and I used to play flower fairies. And it had these wonderful, they are actually beautiful illustrations. Uh, and we used to, I don't know how we did it. We used to sort of say to each other, I'd say, do you want to play flower fairies? And she'd say, yeah, all right, I'll be Mallow. Uh, and I'll go, all right, I'll be Fuchsia. Uh, and I looked at them the other day, and Fuchsia, what Mallow, because my Elizabeth 
had uh, long dark hair. There's Mallow. I thought Mallow was rather pretty. So Elizabeth had, had she was always Mallow. And then I was Fuchsia, who was in a ballet frock, because they're all dressed up like the plants. And look, and look at Fuchsia in a ballet dress. But I'd love to know how we played it, because I remember we played it for hours on end around the back garden and everything. Um, but anyway, on the, school, on the school bus on the way in, and I was beside myself about this book, I was dying to show everybody. Unfortunately, I got Anne that morning, and she, she sat next to me, and I said, I've done this really good book, Anne, this is really, really good. And she said, you're very big-headed sometimes, aren't you? And I said, well, no, I'm not. It's, it's really good. And she said, do you see what I mean? She said, you're just so big-headed, you think you're really it, don't you? And I said, well, no, I don't think I'm it about everything. But I said, but it is really good, can I show you? And she went, no. She went, you know, don't you, you know, you just think you're really brilliant, don't you? And then she hit me with her shoe bag. <laughs> and, and actually, I don't know, she must have had a brick in it. She nearly knocked me up. And, and we used to go to school on a bus. I don't know, it's a bit like the buses they've got round here, where you've got to know the drivers and everything. Uh, and we had this fight on the, and for once I actually fought back. I mean, normally I just got under the seat and cried, you know, I used to cry all the time. But I, this was really such a horrible blow that I had my gabardine raincoat, which had a belt on it with a buckle, and I smacked her on with that. And we sort of, rather like a sort of western, we fell into the aisle of the, of the bus attacking each other over this. <laughs> and, the, and the coach driver, who would not do this now, stopped the bus, grabbed us both, and put us off the bus in this quite rural bit which we used to go around to collect people, and said so we could walk home uh, or walk to school. And he just drove off. In fact, he drove around the corner. Uh, and I can remember Anne saying, now we'll be killed. <laughs> and I said, well, who's going to kill us? She said, I don't know, but someone will kill us. Um, and, and we just sort of stood there and she said, well, we better just walk in the same direction because we had no idea where we were. This bus used to collect us from all these places. We were collected from the waste ground, uh, which actually was bomb site. And then we went all around the houses uh, until we went to this rather astonishing bit because I didn't realise it was on the way to a place called Leatherhead, which was absolutely beautiful, actually. And on the way, we went around this amazing bit with all rhododendron drives and things. Um, and that had, well, that was Oxshot. Well, we collected one child, and I thought she did in these rhododendron bushes, but she must have had a very long drive to her house. Uh, and then we ended up at the school. So anyway, on this occasion, when, when we saw the, the coach waiting for us, we actually walked past it on the inside because we thought it was never going to take us, but the, and we had to come and get us and get us back on. And I remember Anne saying, when we get into trouble, can you say it was you? because you never do anything. <laughs> so I did. I said I, I'd started a fight because I was big-headed. So, anyway, so that was that was this one. And this one, actually, this is still my favourite. I'm sorry to be big-headed here. Please don't hit me with my shoe bags. Um, but this this one, it's got various things in it. Like, it's got this one, which I know he's got on there. I'm getting to ask my I can remember the things that are on. This one is a, a scarecrow's, and, and the little rabbit has run away stays in the scarecrow's pocket, which I think was probably pinched on worlds of gummage. Uh, you can pinch, pinch things when you're young, but not when you're older. We don't like plagiarisms of things, you know. To be careful, really. On the other side, uh, there he's falling into an eagle's nest. I mean, in real life, he would have been eaten by the eagle, wouldn't he? But in my run, everybody always lives happy ever after. So he gets out. Let's just see if there's any more of these up there for to show you. Oh, that's the eagle's nest. There we are. And then, that, this is my favorite, because it's got the staples. This is a staple on house at the end of the chapter. And with this one, you can open it, open it and put it on it. There we are. And that's the inside, which has got this little cupboard, which has actually got bunny food in it, the cupboard. And you can also put him into the bed. So at the end of the chapter, 
his mum tells him a story and he could go to bed at the end of the chapter. So and it, there's some, there's some, I'll just see if I can find this one bit I can ask you, because nobody has ever guessed this, it's a bit like Rumpelstiltskin, unless you've been to this talk before, in which case you might know. But there's a bit where they, the little rabbit is, is uh, running away across the field. And he's been chased by a pack of foxhounds, uh, and they're going to eat him if they, if they catch his scent. So he jumps into something really silly um, to hide his scent. See if you can think what it is. It's something very silly, something you're not likely to find in the middle of the field. But you'll never get it. It's not fair. Yes. A house. A house. You might find that. This is something not likely. Yes. A rabbit hole is very sensible. They're all very sensible. It's actually an extra large tin of baked beans. What is going on in this picture? And I said, well, it was a scout camp. And they were going to have, I think it says two and eleven or something, doesn't it? On extra large tin of beans. Uh, and they, they had a big pack of, of beans because they were going to all have breakfast for about a week. And they'd opened the big one because they were going to have beans on toast for their breakfast. And then it rained, so they'd all gone off conveniently leaving the tin of beans open. But I was just so pleased with that. That's a really good one. So anyway, that, that one uh, I was very pleased with. And then, um, and then I think that sort of, that was because I was about 10 when I did that one. And then, and then we had this exam called the 11 plus. Uh, which didn't look very likely that I would pass it really because I could only write and I couldn't I couldn't do any any kind of um, maths or anything. And, oh, obviously boring somebody out of their brain. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So um, we we took we used to take this example the eleven plus, um, and there again in those days none of us had any idea why we were taking it. You know, we didn't know. In fact, if I'd known that if I'd passed it, I wouldn't go to school with my best friend Elizabeth McGibbon, that I would have to go on three buses miles away, uh, then I wouldn't have passed it on purpose. But in fact, we took two papers. We took an English paper, and we took, an, it was called arithmetic, but it was a maths paper. And, and so I did the English paper, which, you know, was standing on my head, really. Um, and then when we went in for the maths paper, our headmistress, the one that was in the drawing, Martha Mariana, she, she was invigilating for the exam, and as I went in, she stopped me and she said, this is such a shame about you, isn't it? And I thoroughly agreed with her, you know. And she said, I mean, you're so good at English, but there's no hope in the maths department, is there really? She said, there's some miracles happened since I last spoke to you. So I said, you know, I'm not very good at maths. And she said, well, at least they'll give you a mark for your name. And so I said, well, how do they give you a mark for your name? She said, well, you're just lucky. They'll give you, at least you'll get one mark because they write, they write, you, know, you write your name properly, and you can certainly do that. So anyway, I looked at the paper and it was hopeless. I couldn't. I could do the first two, which were wonderfully something like ten minus five, and and then and then it went on to long division and everything else. And I didn't know what I was doing. So while I was sitting there, being rather embarrassed because I had about an hour to sit there with nothing to do, and Mother Mariana was going to look at me, I thought I can count, and I thought if I did about five hundred names, they could add the names up, and I might have enough numbers. I might have enough marks to add on to my English paper. So I wrote my name in fantastic writing. I even did one like Elizabeth I, remember that lovely bit that goes at the end, uh, with the Murphy, you know. It was really, and, and I did loads of them, I counted them, and there were 500 of them. Uh, and then I thought, they might not quite understand what I'm doing here, you know, because it's quite an unusual thing to do, and it was a maths exam. So I wrote a helpful note at the top, and I said um, something on the lines of, um, 
I am not very good at maths, as you can see, but I'm extremely good at English. In fact, I'm a near genius, because that's what Mother Mariana just said. And I said, so if you would like to look at my English paper, which will be uh, extremely good, and add up these 500 marks, because I know I get a mark for my name, then maybe you could allow me to pass the 11 plus. Thank you so much. Yours sincerely, Joe Murphy. <laughs> and, and then, in fact, when I handed it in, I remember thinking, I wonder if they think I'm being a bit cheeky. Um, and then I forgot about it. And then we got the results several months later, probably, and Mother Mariana came round, and she said, 32 children took this exam, and she said, and two children have passed it. And I remember for a mad moment thinking it might be me, but of course it wasn't. It was Ruth Ewan, who lived at the end of the drive in Oxshot, um, with the, well, she didn't, she lived at the other end of it, uh, and this other child whose name escapes me, it was a boy. But she said, two of us have been granted an interview, and one of them was me. Uh, which, so I often think, I wonder if somebody just saw there was some potential in a time when it was so rigid. So an interview, I was absolutely having a wonderful time because my mum had 92 of these little drawings and books I'd done. Um, and I had coursework, really, to show. And um, six people came to interview me, all sort of sitting in a row in wonderful, smart clothes. I remember my mum plaited my hair so tightly that I could, you know, practically took my scalp off. Um, and I, I went in and they, they asked me all sorts of things. Like I remember they asked me what I was reading at the time. And I was reading David Copperfield. And they said, do you like David Coffin? And I said, no, I've read it several times. It's just my mum is mad about Dickens and she likes to talk about it. Uh, and they said, do you, well, what, do you like him at all? And I said, well, I like the children. I like, him, I like the bits like when David Coffin's young. Um, but I think his heroines are a bit silly when, when they grow up. And I, I'm not, you know, I just do it for my mum, really. You know? So we had this bizarre conversation. And of course, they'd seen all the books and everything, which I obviously had done. And then when I left the interview, I remember Mother Marianne had said, you must say thank you, and I'd forgotten to say thank you. So I went back and I knocked on the door, and I could hear this commotion going on inside. And I opened the door, because they obviously wouldn't hear me, and they were completely hysterical with laughter. And they were absolutely doubled up, you know, weeping with laughter. And I remember saying, excuse me, and they were, yes. <laughs> and I said, I've just come back to say thank you, and they were, that's plain. And I shut the door, and I heard them all go, you know, Are, um, and there's one about triangles and, and things like that, and polygons and things 
Circles has a bad attack of right angled triangles in a semicircle, and they have to call the doctor. Uh, uh, that's a nice one, too. That's where the polygons are going that they're better than the triangles. In fact, I could read you the bit about that because when they have this big row, um, that's where they keep the, so the triangles keep organizing all the sports that they, the polygons do, and they keep getting beaten up, you know, because they can't do it. I think that's the annual polygon, but that's it. Look, that's one of the circles with a bad attack of right-angled triangles in a semicircle. <laughs> 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 I mean, just a basic, really. And anyway, Miss um, Chandler went totally ballistic and said, if I could be doing this, then I really, really should be doing my maths, you know, and she couldn't. I mean, there was no understanding of weirdos in those days. So let, I just must read you if I can find it, because it is so passionate. I'll just see if I can find it, the bit about when they have the, with the triangles. Hang on a minute. So beat that, this is a bit, right, okay, so this is the one, in fact, I can go back to the card and actually show you the illustration here, because they've been doing all these, all these games that, this one, that's right, and they look, see, there's one of the triangles being led away on a stretcher, so the, um, the polygons were all shrieking with laughter. The next time they met the hexagons and pentagons, the poor triangles were all black and blue, ha ha, laughed the pentagons, look at them, they're just stupid. What are you laughing at, snarled a little girl, a cute angle triangle. We play all the games that you do now, so you can't keep on at us. It's pretty obvious that you do, laughed a hexagon. You ought to stick to your old games, you lot of babies. Remember, I'm in my first year at the big school, and, and my best friend and I used to pretend to be horses and gallop around the playground in a school where you really didn't do that anymore, you know. So you're all, obviously, it says, it's pretty obvious that you do, laughed a hexagon. Why don't you stick to your old games, you lot of babies? Yes, said a pentagon. Why not admit that we are better than you? Because you're not, cried a little boy, an equilateral triangle. We triangles all have more than one name, but you, you only have one. You, he said, pointing to a pentagon. You're just a pentagon and nothing else, but I'm an equilateral triangle, and she's an obtuse angle triangle, and she's a scalene triangle, and these two are acute. Character, whatever Anne Wallace used to say, because it's my school. 
because I've still got the rejection letters with the dates on, so I know I'm not lying about it. Um, and I sent it to three different publishers. For the first time, I was working as a, um, I used to work as an early morning cleaner, uh, and I used to cycle back to the place I was living in. Uh, and I was waiting for there to be a letter saying, uh, this is absolutely wonderful, we will print, publish it, and then you will be the company ever after. And one morning when I cycled back, exhausted for my job, there on the top of the stairs, because I just rented a room in this place, was, I could see it was the manuscript. It was just, I never took a copy of it. It was just the one type that was sitting there that was all battered. I thought, I wonder why they've sent it back. Perhaps they want me to do some alterations, you know, and it had this letter in it where they said, this does not meet our present needs, which I didn't know what that meant. I remember ringing up my mum saying, what does that mean? She meant me sitting here like it did. So then I sent it to two other publishers, and they didn't like it either. They said children would be frightened of this. It's about a school for witches. I got that one wrong, didn't they? Um, and so anyway, so I, what I kept doing over the next few years, that was funny too, because those are from the same Mildred Bridge types. I put the brooms back to front, because I didn't know how a witch would fly on a broom. In fact, you have the, the bit at the end. There she is going down with the bit at the end, and then she looks over all flying backwards, don't they? But it's still basically the same drawing. That's, then I thought I'll do it in color. So, so I did a color one to try and attract people in, in ink on the left, and that one's in paint, I'm not so good at paint. But it's still basically the drawing that ended up in the book. Um, and I, then I thought, I'll give Mildred orange hair, because they started saying it was a bit dark and people would not like it dark. So I thought, I'll give her orange hair and try and jolly the entire thing up, make it purple. And then we were watching Colditz on the telly at the time, so I think this, this castle looks very like Colditz in this incarnation. Oh, and then that one was a, a birthday card I did to my mum. It says, one of these days you'll get me into my book. Because my mum said, don't give up on it. It's so good, you know. Uh, and, and so I just think that's so sweet that I'm still trying to, trying to she'll try and do it for her. And then, anyway, so I'll go back to that one. So I had one last try to get it published. And um, a friend of mine had been to a publisher's party. And I now know as well that if you're at publishers' parties, everybody comes up to you and says, I've written a children's book or I've done a really good book. So people are not very responsive about this, especially when drunk at publishers' parties. But my friend went and he had actually typed out one of the versions for me. Uh, and they said they were, they, they were left-wing and poetry publishers. They didn't do children's school. I mean, I have had some astonishing bits of luck. Uh, and they said they were thinking of starting a children's list. So he said, I've got the very book for you. And they went, yes. You know, and, uh, and they said, well, what is it, you know, where is it? And he said, well, the person who's written it is away at the moment. And in fact, I was in Africa. I mean, I can't go into this. This is also a subplot. But I was in, living in Ghana, which is in Africa, in a mud hut, actually. Um, and it just happened that the lady who was the publisher of this, which was a very long time ago, was not only a woman publisher, but a Ghanaian woman publisher. So she was absolutely fascinated to meet me and wonder and talk to me as I know. For example, you know, I sometimes eye up taxi drivers and other thing. I think that's gone in because I could risk it. Although you don't want to risk it in case they're Nigerian, in which case there would be trouble, you know, um, because they all can't stand each other. Um, but what I, what I, you know, I knew that now she wanted to meet me so we could talk about Ghana because she used to live there. So um, I went back home and as I was getting off the plane, I'd gone to my mum's house. Um, the phone was ringing, and it was Alison and Busby they were called to say, would I like to bring in this book that I got about the worst witch, because it sounds like a really good one, and they were thinking of starting a children's list. So in I went with it, and they phoned me up the next day and said, this is absolutely wonderful, we'll take it. Uh, and, and they printed 5,000 copies, and I thought, where will we ever find 5,000 people? I mean, I, my father's one of 11, you know, from an Irish family, and there were quite a lot, but not 5,000. 
Um, and then it sold out all by itself, and people started le writing me letters. I had a letter from this girl called Kirsten Cranfield, which was the first one. She said, oh, I've looked in the libraries and the bookshops, and I've looked everywhere, and I cannot find any more stories about Mildred. Could you write me another one, please, secretly? And I will send you a postal order for 50p, and I will never tell anybody. <laughs> and they said, well, could you do another one? So, so I did the Westwich Strikes again. And then I thought, I bet nobody thinks I can do colour illustrations. Actually, I didn't think I could do colour illustrations either. Uh, but so I, I did a, I decided I could do this one, see if I've got it. Because I still did the same thing, look, all stapled together, and then I do a rough in it, and that's the piece at last. It's got the hours late, and in fact it's exactly like the illustrations. Miss, Mr. Bell's Miss and they were all tired, so they all went to bed. Um, and there they are going all up to bed. Um, and it's exactly like the book, really. And, and so, yes, you've got it there, it's nice actually, it's nice you've got it. And the book that, that, that I went off to see a publisher, I had a bit of clout by this time, because the worst switch was doing rather well. So I went to Macmillan, and I'd just done one drawing from it. In fact, I didn't think I'd got, can I borrow your book? But I promise I'll give it back. Actually, you must remember, because I might take it away without that. Thank you. I thought, I'll just do one picture, properly finished, to show them how nice it will look. So I did that one. And when the publisher was flicking through this rather ordinary-looking grey book, he said, what's that? Have you got something to go with that? And I said, well, yes, I've got this whole story and I can do it. So I did the whole book and then that was up for the Kate Greenaway Award. I didn't win it. I never won the Kate Greenaway Award. They could let me win it out for pity, don't you think? <laughs> as much as I was ill, I thought they might, you know, I wanted to win it on with a trial. I thought they might let me win it that year, but they didn't. <laughs> I'll give it back to you because I won't forget. Thank you. Um, so, um, and then I had a career, really, without even realising it. And I thought, I'd better do another one, so I did whatever next, which is about the one where he goes to the moon. I was working with Nanny at this point. And the little boy I worked, I worked with, we used to love the moon. We used to, he had a floor to see the windows, and it's flat. And there was, you could see the moon come up between the houses. Um, and there was a water weed tree with the moon behind it. So I did that one for him, really. Oh, yeah, and I actually finished that one rather well to, to attract them, to know that they would look like that only in colour. Um, and then they all started doing okay. And, and that's, that's really how it all got going. And then let me just see if there's anything else because I really could keep you here all day anyway. Now that was an interesting one. The reason I'm showing you this one is because that picture on the left, which is just on a scrubby old bit of paper, can you see that it's going to be the one on the right? And I did the left one on a train. When I was, it's, about, it's called Deerhound. It's about a, a dog that gets lost. Um, and um, that scrubby old drawing the whole germ of that one that's very well finished on the, on the right. And I, I just, one of the things that worries me for everybody now is because of the computer situation. Where apart from the fact they're all playing, well it used to be Andy Birds, and then they were all obsessed with um, and then we've got all the Andy Birds on my phone, and now they're all exploring mine, and the other one, Minecraft, which actually is very good in very small doses, but then they all get obsessed with Minecraft, don't you? They're all hopeless. I mean, you know, it's, in fact, it's, it's a sort of control thing, because I, I hate it. We all know that now. Uh, and now you, to try and fight it off, I really, I really almost feel it's like some sort of horror film where we've allowed, because we didn't know how to, not realise what was going to happen. Charlie, who is my son, is 28, was the last one where he was, he was old enough, where, or young enough at the time. He was nine and he wanted one of these, it was called a Nintendo, I think it's called. Um, and I, you couldn't do this now, I couldn't do it to him, it would humiliate him, you know. But at the time, he wanted to play he wanted to have one of he to put pressure on me. And we were in London, and, he, and one of his friends asked him how to play football. He loves football. 
So you've got all this football strip on Liverpool. I, I like Liverpool now. I watch it. I even like Jurgen Klopp. I know what their names are. You know, he doesn't live at home anymore. I phone him up to say, didn't Liverpool do well? And he doesn't really care whether I care anymore. You know? um, and he tries to be interested. But anyway, he got all his football strip on to go around and play with his friend football. Um, and I was thinking, he didn't know I was beginning to weaken at this point. Um, in fact, I was really, his birthday was very near, and I was just about to give in and give him the Nintendo. So I took him around to this other house, um, and the nanny let me in. In fact, everybody was nannies. I think they thought I was a nanny too, because I didn't look smart, you know. Um, so and the nanny let him in and said, oh, you know, she, she, she said, you can go and have three hours by yourself if you like. So I went off home and did the cleaning or whatever, you know. I came back to get him, and the nanny opened the door and said, this is wonderful, she said, we haven't had a peep out of them. And when I went in, he, it was just at the time when they, I mean, you can't even imagine this now, but they just worked out how to put the Nintendo through the television. So he and this little boy were sitting there with that awful expression, I'm sure you all know, that they get, sort of like this, where they can't, nothing intrudes. And they were playing the World Cup. And this little boy looked up at me and said, I'm winning the World Cup. And I thought, no, you're not winning the World Cup. You're not even going to use your real knees, you know. <laughs> and, and on the way home, I said to Charlie, I'm not going to get you a Nintendo. I said, I'm really sorry about this. And I said, look, you know, we have a wonderful time together, don't we? I said, we have the most amazing time. I said, it's a bit like the situation, although, you know, I'm not religious anymore, but I know all the stories. I said, it's a bit like the situation in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had absolutely everything, and God said, not that tree. Um, and then they uh, uh, couldn't cope, and they got the tree, and out they went. I said, I know that this is something really bad, and I know that people will wish we could have done this much earlier different about using it as a tool, that's absolutely fine. Um, but I said, so I'm not going to let you have one. When you're 15, you can buy your own with birthday money and stuff. And he said, 15? Well, I'm only nine, you know. And I said, well, your addicted friends can bring theirs around. I'm not fussing about them. I don't mind about them. It's you I mind about. And I said, so they can bring them around. But then what they start doing, of course, the mothers, who are now completely, they have to buy the number two one, because the games don't work on the number two one. They would say, oh, we'll give Charlie. And so I had to prime all the mothers and say, please don't offer him. It got as far as Xboxes, you know, and I didn't want him to have them. Uh, and when he was 15, I reminded him, because I always keep my promises, and I said, um, would you like to buy one with your birthday money? And he went, oh, no, no, can I have a skateboard? You know, because he was in skating at that point. He was into music. He, you know, he's in three bands. He's, he's so talented at music and everything. And by that time, he did real stuff. So, in fact, he, I'm amazed that he did as much as he did. But, uh, and, but now you couldn't do that, could you? You couldn't. It's got so all-pervasive. Even the schools, they've all got iPads and things like that and everything. And something is always calling to you from an iPad. Do you know what I mean? If you've got all phones or whatever. So yeah. it's a kind of tricky one. Anyway, I'm with this so one. sorry. I'm going to have to all stop right. you there. I think we could all listen for another hour. Just see if there's anything else. That We're going to have to get out of the next, you know, out of the market of the next person. But Jill is not leaving just yet. I'm not. She is going to be in the bookshop marquee. Her books are on sale and Jill will have plenty of time to sign books for you. And she can on. answer any questions <laughs> for you then. And can we have a huge round